is the pressure coming from right now? Is it pressure to perform? To make the numbers? To please? Is it a compulsion? I'm compelled or am I pressured? I believe the compulsion comes from the spirit. The pressure comes from the world. Welcome to Eternal Leadership, a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what God has created in them. I'm Steve Ryder, and that was today's guest, executive coach and professional Christian Coaching Institute faculty member, Cheryl Scanlon. Cheryl was an executive for a multi-million dollar company in New York and brings that perspective to her coaching clients. And my co-host John Ramstead and I recently chatted with Cheryl about some dark seasons with her health and about the lessons she's learned as she's come out of it. As the husband of a wife that's come through some very scary health challenges as well, I can certainly empathize and see very similar lessons learned in the lives of both my wife and myself. Here now is how we got this conversation started on this edition of Eternal Leadership. Well, as I first started my journey, Steve, as you know, into coaching uh, and and just knew that God had called me to be an executive and leadership coach, uh, that is when I met uh, Cheryl. She's on the faculty at the Professional Christian Coaching Institute. Go, you know, working with you, Cheryl. I got to tell you, uh, your insight, uh, how you think, how you do things, how you have just worked with so many leaders. Your background, I know that uh, you can share a little bit of this, but I love bragging about you. I mean, you were an executive with some huge firms in New York City. Um, you decided to get in this calling, uh, and now you're a master certified coach. You're an instructor at one of the top. Um, you know, coaching schools around you developed two curriculums that have been certified by the International Coaching Federation. Uh, I don't know if we'll have time to talk about it, but the one that you did called uh, Promised Land Living. It's a one-year intensive for leadership development. It's a curriculum for men, women, and uh, you've just done so much. So just welcome to the show. Thank you for coming on. Oh, thank you, John. It's it's a privilege to be here. Um, I'm hoping that whatever the Lord chooses to share through us today really supports your listenership. Well, I appreciate that. And so today we've just got an amazing uh, following and people are just tuning in because they just want to get equipped. They just want to have these extraordinary lives and businesses and faith. And and you know what? I, I think the people are listening to this. They really want to be impact players. They, yeah. they, they want to do work that outlives their life. They want to do it uh, with a relationship with God that just brings joy in their life. They want to have amazing families and marriages. And I just love our listeners. And and it's just a privilege for us to get to share with them every week. So, um, you know, and I've gotten to know you. So I would love for you to just share about your journey and just let the the listeners get to know you a bit before we get into some of the incredible ups and downs in your life, things that you've gone through and just the powerful impact that you're making now. Well, uh, I grew up um, in a traditional church background, and uh, when my husband and I moved to Florida, uh, we had been seeking and hungry and lost uh, for a long, long time. And through uh, a dear group of people down there, God just nabbed me. He showed me the depth of my sinful nature. Uh, I had prayed the sinner's prayer when I was in second grade because I needed someone to love me but I was not in contact with the depth of my sin. And so when I came to grips with the fact that there is really a hell, 
I said, that's not my God because my God is a loving God and my theology was really broken uh, and I was really broken. And through a, through a dream and through a book by Chuck Colson called Loving God and through some pretty significant exhortation uh, with friends who walked me through the theology of heaven and hell, the Lord just struck me down and showed me the depth of my sinful nature. And in that moment, I cried out to the God who not only loves me with an everlasting love, but who is a holy God and he's altogether separate. And he made a way for us to be in relationship with him through Jesus Christ. And it was at that moment I understood why a savior had to die, why there had to be the shedding of blood. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And that justification, a God who is truly, absolutely, perfectly just, as well as a God who loves in a way that we cannot even begin to imagine, it all came together for me in that moment, and I've never been the same. Well, this journey that you've been on, Cheryl, what are some of the highlights for you if you look back over the last 15, 20 years? One of the big ones, and of course, um, we have talked about this before, is my Lyme disease. You know, we, we take our health for granted until that day we wake up and we don't have it anymore. And I, I'm so glad that we can take our health for granted and that we have a great physician that heals us from these small wounds and ailments. Uh, at one point, however, it had gotten to a point where it was very serious and we had actually planned my funeral. And I was told that I should not expect um, to live past, um, I would definitely not see 50. And as of this podcast, I am 50. I turned 50 this year. Congratulations. My, thank you. This is my year of Jubilee. Uh, so through Lyme disease, uh, Tom and I love to share a testimony. That's my husband of 30 years of, of December. I was the oh self-sufficient one. I could do anything and I could make sure it got done well. And my husband was very selfish. And through Lyme disease, God taught me how to let go. And he taught me that even when I was at my sickest, paralyzed on the right side of my body, unable to care for myself, the mere fact that I would turn to him and worship him, he was pleased with me. The smallest of the small, the weakest of the weak, the most useless of society, in many people's estimation, a strain on society. He was pleased with me. I'd never experienced that before. And my husband who uh, what, what loved my self-sufficiency because I made his life very easy. And he learned about sacrificial love and he, became, he came in contact with the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ in a much deeper way because of the decisions he made. He chose to stay with me. I chose to stay with him. And Lyme disease has an extremely high divorce rate. And the testimony of our marriage that, that we survived because of covenant uh, again, we give glory and honor to God because in our flesh it would not have made it. Well, I can so relate to that. You know, recovering from my accident, uh, you know, which was three years and it was a similar situation. And, and uh, we were talking with Dr. Dobson and he was just marveling that Don and I, uh, you know, stayed married because most people, like you said, don't in that situation. But it gets back to the covenant in, in honoring that. And making it important, but also for me, uh, it was bringing God into that process and using that to just give me hope, to have some understanding, uh, to just know that uh, you know as we move forward, there's a reason for everything. There sure is, 
you know, First um, Thessalonians talks about how we are to give thanks uh, in all things. Uh, some will say for all things. And there was a time when I, I learned how to give thanks in Lyme disease. Uh, there was a day when my Bible study teacher had come over and, and I was in a pitiful state. And I said, I just can't find reason to give thanks for anything. And she said to me, she said, Cheryl, darling, if all you can do is thank God for saving your sorry soul, that is thanks enough. <laughs> and it was so good for me to hear that. And I, you know, I, my spirit agreed with that, even though my soul cringed under that. But then as we got farther along and I saw the work that God was doing and refining and humbling me and uh, bringing me low and um, just shedding the layers and the layers of the flesh, I not only gave thanks in Lyme disease, but I gave thanks for Lyme disease. Now, there was a day, though, while you were in this process, you were in the hospital, and, and you coded out. They ushered your husband out of the room. What was the first thing that went across your mind when, when the, the code blue was triggered? Well, the, it was so funny, John, because I thought, what's the big deal? I'm right here. Um, I had no sense of the impending separation until they ushered Tom out of the room. And I said, whoa, wait a minute, this is serious. But the interesting thing was I, I wasn't feeling much of anything. I wasn't sad. I wasn't afraid. I, I, there was nothing there. It was kind of a blank slate. There was definitely a sense of peace, but I wouldn't say it was this deep peace that you hear people describe. It was when I recovered from that, that things started to change for me. Um, I was feeling a strange sense of urgency, of pressure. My husband used to ask me the question, where is this pressure coming from? Uh, and I couldn't articulate it at first, but John, I, I bet you get this. It's just all of a sudden I really wanted everything that I did to count. And there wasn't a minute, even now, my husband and I, uh, we went to Goodberry's down in Cameron Village and got ourselves a little ice cream one night. And it was a beautiful evening. And as I was walking back to the car, I was finding myself thanking the Lord that I could walk to the car. This is now 10 years later since I've been in the wheelchair, but my heart is so full of gratitude for those simple things, for being able to pick up a pen or being able to walk across the street. It took me a year to learn how to walk again. And the most difficult thing for me to learn how to do again was to learn how to write with my right hand. So this pressure was there. Uh, the gift of life was, it was almost more than I could bear. Now, you described it as a burden, this gift of life that had been given to you miraculously. What, what kind of burden was that, Cheryl? It was a sense of responsibility that was more than I could act upon. And I know later on we're going to talk a little bit about eternal leadership, but this is part of where that question, one of my key questions that I, I believe leaders who are operating God's kingdom need to ask themselves, and that is, what is my responsibility? And it seems like such a, a simple question, but we get all tangled up in it. All sorts of things get tangled up in it. And so that's where I was. I was tangled up in this hyper sense of responsibility, the elements of self-sufficiency were starting to creep back in. So we had my own tendencies that I was dealing with along with the deep gratitude that I was experiencing. 
and the reality that life is a mere handbreadth, and I am from the dust, and I'm going back to the dust real soon. So as you walk through that part of the process, Cheryl, did did the burden ease? Did the pressure ease? What tell tell us as you went through that valley, what what came next? Yeah. So what happened was, <clears throat> on a technical level, I'll just give you a medical technical level for a second. <clears throat> I was receiving something called glutathione, IV glutathione. And um, the glutathione, for whatever reason, my body was unable to strip away impurities. And the, I would receive this glutathione every three days to two weeks. And I would sometimes literally be wheeled in, there's many people that can testify this, in, in a semi-coma, uh, non-responsive, uh, labored breathing. I could hear everything. I was at total peace. I was not in pain, but I was completely non-responsive. And you would give me the glutathione. And within 10 to 15 minutes, I could, I'm back up my normal self and I would be out uh, playing tennis again. So it was the strangest thing. And then I started to develop a reaction to the glutathione. And I received a certified letter in the mail from my doctor explaining that they would be unable to minister this to me anymore. They were concerned about what was happening to my brain. It's a very powerful drug of some sort. And that was when Tom and I uh, planned my funeral. And my prayer was that God would either take me out of the game completely or that he would heal me, but that he would not leave me in this coma-like state. Uh, and I say coma-like because I could hear everything that was going on, even though I was non-responsive. And it was about the same time that Terry Schiavo, I don't know if you remember Terry Schiavo, but Terry Schiavo, mm -hmm. the big shindig was going on between her and her family and her husband. And so we were in the middle of that when all this was going on. So, this, so this whole issue is very front of mind. Very, yeah. I mean, yeah, because I looked exactly like Terry Schiavo when I was in that state. Now, I'm not saying I had the same uh, brain damage as her. Please don't put those two together. But I looked like her. Well, um, long story short, the Lord, uh, the Lord brought Tom and I together of one mind. Uh, we asked for healing, very specifically. And for whatever God's sovereign purposes are, he chose to heal me. Three weeks um, after that prayer, I climbed a rock wall at the state fair, and I looked down from the rock wall and told Tom that was when we actually declared my healing because we had to wait to see if I was going to need the glutathione. I've never used glutathione again. Hmm. And at that point, this was in October, that was when that sense of incredible pressure hit me. Oh my goodness, I'm healed. Now what? What am I supposed to do? Uh, how am I supposed to serve? I mean, think about, we had people bringing meals to us for a year, for a full year. We had insurance coverage that is unbelievable now because of the whole Lyme disease and the controversy around it. We wouldn't have gotten that. I had a pick line for a year. So now what do I do? How do I give back, Lord? I'd forgotten everything that I learned, that he was pleased with me when I was in that bed and could do nothing. I forgot it all underneath that pressure. And then at Christmas time, I'm gonna cry. It's okay. So at Christmas time, uh, a pastor got up and he shared about the shepherds and this encounter that they had with Jesus. 
And I did not believe in healing, and God healed me. And he had told me before the healing, he said, I said, well, God, I am between a rock and a hard place now. And I heard his voice say to me, what better place for you to be? And I went, what, Lord? What do you mean? And then there was silence. And I was like, what do you mean, what better place to be? And then I realized Moses was between that rock and a hard place. And he saw God's glory pass by. And I knew in that moment that I was going to see God's glory. So I was either going to die and see him in the fullness of glory, because, you know, Paul talks about, um, I'm hard pressed. Do I want to be here or do I want to be with him? To die is to be with Christ. And so I knew if I died, I was with him or I was going to live, but I would not be in that semi-coma state. And so God chose in that rock and the hard place place to allow me to see the glory of him pass by in the form of being able to live and to give glory to him and to point people to him on earth. Now I'm listening to this this um, pastor talk about the shepherds and how they saw Jesus and it struck them to the core. And I'm, my heart is quickening as I'm listening to this. I'm like, yes, I understand this. I get this. And then I'm like, what happens after this? Because that was the question. What happens after this? And he says, and you know what they did after that? They went back to their pastures. They went back to their flocks, singing and praising and giving glory to God. And I realized, mm. Tom and I looked at each other, and we had our answer. Go back to your life. Go back to your little children and your flocks. Go back to your ministry. Go back and sing and praise and give glory to God. And I had a peace that I had not had ever So Cheryl, you know, as you shared that, it sounds like that that pressure, that burden, that responsibility that you were feeling was your responsibility. Oh yeah, you it was all me. You realized this was not yours to carry. No, and that's that's my default role. I had fallen back into my default way of doing things, and God once again stripped me of that and brought me to a place of just such humility, um, such strength, such peace, calm, pressure's gone. You know, as you, as you, as you share that, because there's so many people out there that want to get to, I think, where you are now with your faith, but they haven't gone through such a pivotal event in their life. What, what do you share with people that are in just the middle of life that want to get to the place that, that you're at now? John, I go back to something you said at the beginning of the podcast, that people are really wanting this. You have, you have a subscriber list now of people who are hungry. The reality is, unless we are starving for Christ and what he has to give us, we're not going to receive it. We have to be ravenous. And so as I muddle along in my life, I still have those moments when I recognize my hunger and my thirst for his righteousness. And then it's there again. 
This is available to anyone at any time. It's just I'm so stubborn that it took, you know, a two by four across my head to get me to figure it out. I think a lot of us can relate to stubbornness. Yeah. Well, my second question, you know, I talked about that first question for eternal leadership being, uh, what is my responsibility? And I encourage your listeners to just sit with that for a while and really think about that. You're going to have your first answer. You're going to have your second answer. You're going to have your answer that's related to your, your different roles. But start to get underneath that. And it's not so easy anymore. And that's where I think we need to wrestle because unless we start to figure out our true responsibility, we can't possibly see the glory of God work and move. We can't possibly see what can happen with the widow's might. We can't see what he can do with the, with the littlest of what we have to offer and magnify it in ways beyond what we can, we can imagine. So that's the first thing. But the second part is this, and that is how do I operate from a place of humility? When I was starting to feel the pressure again, at the root of that pressure, yes, there was gratefulness there, John, but there was also pride. Wow, look what God did for me. Why did he do this for me? I mean, I was terrified by that. Why did he choose me who didn't even believe that he could heal to heal me? And so there's a strange mix of, of almost self-contempt with pride, with gratitude, and, you know, we're complex beings. <laughs> and it, it boils down to a leader who wants to have an eternal impact must not only be God-aware, but self-aware. I just saw, I was driving down the street the other day, and I saw a church had a sign up, and they said, focus on God, not on people. And I thought, you know, I understand what they're saying, but there's a problem with that. Because Jesus was very much in direct communication with his father. He only spoke with his father what his father told him to say. He wasn't concerned about pleasing people. And I get that piece. But he also was moved by compassion. He was aware of the needs of the people. He knew why he had come to serve. It was not to serve self. It was to serve so as to draw creation back into the fullness of relationship with him in his triune community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Mm. And so a leader must not only be God-aware, but must. It demands that we are self-aware. The two go hand in hand. The psalmist gives us permission to be self-aware. And yet the psalmist puts his self-awareness in perspective. The context is always the character of God. So as we're looking at and facing in the mirror our character and our, our development, you know, uh, as we're as we become we persevere and um, move forward in, in our sense of character development, we have to consider uh, God's holiness and are we moving towards God or away from Him? One of the things I love to um, share with people in, in these venues is. I had asked my, one of my Bible study teachers, I said, you know, I feel funny comparing myself to other people, but how do I know how I'm doing? And she said, Cheryl, you compare yourself to Jesus because he's the image bearer. He's the perfect image of the Father. Hebrews teaches us that. He's the outrage. And we are to be image bearers. And so we look to see, am I becoming more like Christ or less like him? 
And then we work and come alongside people and we say, wow, what are they doing? Ooh, they're reminding me I can become more like this. But I'm not going to try and become John Ramstead as an executive coach. And John Ramstead's not going to try and become like me. Because God has given us a territory, a calling, a place where we are each to work. So Cheryl, as you wrestled uh, with that first question of responsibility, what, what did you come up with for yourself? I have a lot less responsibility than I ever thought I had. Mm. And the question that, and this is a question that my husband actually asked me. This is, this is my regulator, I guess, my regulator question is I'll ask myself, where is the pressure coming from right now? Is it pressure to perform, to make the numbers, to please? Where is the pressure coming from? Is it a compulsion? I'm compelled or am I pressured? I believe the compulsion comes from the spirit. The pressure comes from the world. So when you're talking about self-awareness, uh, I'd love for you to say more about that because I, I think what you're talking about is really o- almost how you discern the difference between the two. Yeah. Or if I'm wrong, I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. No, I think that is a part of it. Uh, you know, obviously it's more than what we can do in a single podcast, but um, I believe, and this is just my opinion, I believe that we as leaders have to give ourselves permission to feel small, to come back to and revisit the fact that we come from the earth. That's where the word humility um, is rooted in the word earth or dust. And so think about how small dust is. It's really small. And take that smallness and put it in the context of the great and the fierce love of our daddy. And so when we take our smallness and we keep the context and are surrounded by that triune community of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we keep ourselves in there, we shift from focusing on the fact that we screwed up and then we start to hide and then we start to get vocal and then we start to fight and we become arrogant and we, we belittle others and we become um, confrontational in ways that are demeaning and shaming. Or we shift and get back into that triune, the center of that triune relationship, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, where the Father is the captain of my ship and Jesus walks alongside me and the Holy Spirit is my trainer. And we no longer have to hide and we can admit Wow, I'm, I'm doing too much here. Wow, Lord, you know what? I'm, I'm reaching out farther than I'm supposed to. Whoa, Lord, you know what? I need to be doing more here. I sense you really pulling me th- towards this. And this keeps us from two things. It keeps us from wandering around, and it keeps us from cowering and not being willing to step out. Facing ourselves in the mirror with God, standing right there with us, not alone. Don't stand there and face the mirror alone. That's terrifying. Face it there with God with you. And watch the empowerment that comes from the, I call it humiliation, because sometimes it does feel 
humiliating to me. But for the sake of the work that he has set before you for the kingdom, will we allow ourselves to go through that? Are we going to let pride and ego get in the way of that greater work, as you said, for us to do the work that's going to outlast us? And may I add, we may never see. And that's part of ego again. That's part of responsibility. That's part of humility. I'm not going to see what comes out of this, and you're not going to either. You know, Cheryl, a lot of, you know, the podcast is really focused on a lot of people in leadership roles, running companies, or just in their life, right? We, I think leadership is just having influence over one other person's life. So it can be people just getting started out. It can be small. But you don't often hear, you know, the great characters characteristics of a leader in the same sentence with humility. But what you just described is such a powerful place. So you've worked with so many great leaders. I I would love to get your thoughts on what do you think either holds people back, slows them down, or just stops them from getting to that, you know, operating from that place? Yeah. You know, we've heard the, it's overused at this point, fear of failure and fear of success, right? Yeah. Uh, so we can put that one out there and then I'm just going to put that over to the side because I think that's been cooked very well. It's probably a little overdone at this point. Um, internally, I wonder if we are still not positioning ourselves in a way that we have to prove something to someone. And then, of course, the question that begs is what are you trying to prove and who are you trying to prove it to? See, the cross dismantles all of that because Jesus says, while you were yet sinning, while you were yet in your filth, while you were yet murdering people in your heart, while you were yet um, stealing and cheating and lying, and while you didn't even care a hoot about what you were doing because you hadn't been brought low enough to realize what a fool you were. I hung on that cross for you. If the church would stop operating from a place of trying to prove themselves, leaders, to whoever they're trying to prove themselves to, I believe two things would happen. Number one, I believe that we would truly be free, the freedom that Christ talks about. If a man is free in Christ, he is free indeed. And as a result of that freedom, we would be able to respond to a world that we don't even know is available to us, but is accessible to us. It's available to us, but it hasn't been made accessible to us because we're still in bondage. And this was, this was a turning point in my Lyme disease. If I could shift back for just a moment. Sure. Um, during my whole Lyme, uh, ordeal, um, people kept telling me I was in the refiner's fire and I was still not real well, well versed in the Bible. I mean, I don't think I could have told you it was Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and how they had been given their new names by Nebuchadnezzar and all that. I, you know, I didn't have a real good solid understanding of the scriptures, but I was getting a feeling that refiner's fire had something to do with trials and ordeals. (laughs) And, um, My dear spiritual mentor in Florida called me up. I hadn't heard from her in a while, and it was Elizabeth, and I was so happy to hear from her. And Elizabeth said, Cheryl, I just want to tell you 
that you're in the refiner's fire. And when I heard her say that, I felt a sense of betrayal that went to the core of my being. I thought, can't you come up with something better to tell me than that? Why was that? Why did that feel like betrayal? Because it seemed like it was such a platitude at that point. People mm -hmm. didn't know what to say to me, and that's what they said. Now, that was what was going on for me. That was not their hearts. But that's how raw and frustrated I was getting inside of myself. And then my spirit grabbed hold of my soul and said, you will listen. See, part of this metamorpho process is we have got to choose. This is part of the responsibility level that goes real deep. We have to make the decision to say, soul, you are going to line up and submit to my spirit. And I heard the spirit, not audibly, of course, neither one of these times that I said I heard the spirit was it audible. It was just a very clear sense. You're going to listen to her because your soul needs this right now. So I shut up. I shut up all that language that was going on, that chatter that was going on in my mind that was rearing up that headache for me again. And I listened. And she said, Cheryl, I just want you to know that the only thing the refiner's fire burns are the ropes that bind you to this world. And when you get to the other side of this, and you will, because every trial has a beginning and an end, you will be freer than you have ever been in your life. Mm. So when you had that conversation with Elizabeth laying there uh, with her on the phone, what did you notice? I noticed that the spirit is alive and well. You know, you ask, where is God or how do we listen to God or how do we experience these things when we're muddling through life? Mm -hmm. he, he is always available. We are the ones that determine how accessible it is to us. Will we humble ourselves? Will we go back to that place of realizing we're dust? We're a mere hand breath. We can count our days in, in a matter of, you know, a couple of minutes. But God, but God loves us with an everlasting love and cares for us. As a matter of fact, that passage um, that talks about God being opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble, uh, I, I, I believe every leader in Christendom needs to read that 1 Peter 5, 5 through 7 passage because God talks about in that process of humbling ourselves under that mighty hand that sometimes feels really heavy, He's going to exalt us at His time, and we're to cast all of our anxiety on Him because what? He cares for us. He cares for us. So my spirit testified to the fact that while my body was wasting away, you know, we are in these tents, as Peter talks about, that are being just tattered and torn. So, and though my outer man is decaying, my inner man is being renewed day by day. That's what I took from that moment. I am being renewed in this moment. My spirit's alive and well. You know, as people are listening to you right now, Cheryl, and they're, they're just, because this is also what you know what I'm thinking, you know, how do I become more accessible? You know, what, and you've shared some incredible, you know, lessons in your own life. What, what would you share with somebody who's just struggling to get, you know, to that place where they're, where they're just, where they, they can sense that presence, they can sense the Holy Spirit guiding them, they, you know, in, in what they have to do in their life? Oh, I'm so glad you asked that question. I'm going to share a story from um, scriptures. When David was bringing the Ark of the Covenant 
back from the Philistines. Um, they did not carry the ark correctly. And as a result of not carrying the ark um, correctly, uh, Uzzah died. He touched the ark. And this is in, uh, I believe it's in 2 Samuel. And David's response to that was anger. He was so angry at God. And then if you read just, I think it's five or six verses later, the ark is now coming into Jerusalem. And this is when David is dancing before the Lord. And of course, his wife is scorning him at that point. But there's such joy in David. How could that happen? How could a man who just lost Uzzah go from that place of such anger at God? How could you? How can we even figure out how to bring this ark to now dancing with such joy? The answer is humility. The answer is God's way, not my way. God is not finished with me yet. God has work to do. I need to work with his way of doing things. And when we start to realize just how holy and righteous and altogether lovely and separate he is, and we begin to hunger and thirst for that righteousness, it becomes accessible to us. Our response has to be humility. Wow, Cheryl, that was, thank you so much for sharing that. You know, as we wrap up, what are some final thoughts you would love to just leave with people if they've been just listening to this whole conversation? Yeah. So I coach a, a color guard. Uh, it's been doing it for 12 years through marching band. And uh, one of the things I tell the girls, because they always get afraid when they go out on that field and we're coming up to our first show this Friday night, if you're going to make a mistake, make it big. And I tell them that because <laughs> if they don't, they're going to perform very small. They're not going to step out. And so I would love to bring to your listenership um, the fact that in Romans, Paul tells us that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and to those who are called according to his purpose. So that means all things. And leader who is out there, please believe that he's going to make good come out of your mistakes you're going to make mistakes. I'm going to make mistakes. And great things can come out of those mistakes. Humility, awareness, God's grace, mercy that is then displayed by others to us. Perfection in Christ is refined and shaped. And dare I say, defined by our responses to our mistakes. So my encouragement and expectation to your leaders is, Whatever the Lord has given you, whatever talents he's given you, and talents I'm referring to the scriptures, step out. Don't hide it. Be prepared in advance knowing that you're going to make mistakes. And God's going to redeem that too because you're going to learn greater what is your responsibility and you're going to step into more fully a place of humble leadership that is going to move this kingdom in these last days to draw others to Christ himself. If you'd like to learn more about Cheryl or her coaching, check it all out at eternalleadership.com slash 077. That's eternalleadership.com slash 077. That link is embedded in the summary of this MP3 if you're listening on your smartphone, tablet, or computer. 
makes it super easy to get to that website, eternalleadership.com slash 077. Now, if you follow this show, you may have noticed that we've featured guests from a number of different coaching schools. If you're looking at getting your coaching certification, we encourage you to check out Professional Christian Coaching Institute, where Cheryl is a faculty member. You can find that link right there in our show notes, eternalleadership.com slash 077. By the way, as you know, my partner, John Ramstead, is a leadership and executive coach, and he keeps some time every single week to pay it forward. So if you'd like to take advantage of that opportunity to just chat with him, I know he'd love to get to know you. You can contact him, john at eternalleadership.com. By the way, you can also contact me, steve at eternalleadership.com, and I love hearing your stories, getting to know you and really just finding out where you are in life and also finding any potential guest ideas that you could have. Steve at eternalleadership.com. Next time on Eternal Leadership, blogger and writer Jeff Goins. What makes a life extraordinary aren't the special chances and opportunities you get, but what you do with them. For John Ramstead, I'm Steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership. Eternal Leadership.